This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. Here, before we get into our open discussion about these three chapters. First of all, before we get into that open discussion, how many of you enjoyed the re- this re- week's readings? Is that particularly helpful and useful? I mean, if you didn't enjoy it, um, it's fine. It's up to you. I'm not really asking that, so there you have it. But what we do want to do is talk about some scriptural principles, and I'm going to try and stay on, on track for time for this. Um, these are, again, this, this portion is really, Pastor Hatton and I are kind of taking a little bit of our liberty here in this, in this series to kind of drill down some of the things that we feel are very important scripturally and how this applies to these chapters, and also to give us maybe a little bit of perspective on what we're, what we're reading, and then also help to guide some of our discussion as well. These scriptural principles aren't intended to be um, ultimately comprehensive about these chapters that we're reading or anything like that necessarily, but what they are is just a couple of key points that we want to take away scripturally and biblically as we continue to dive through these books here. So um, with that in mind, uh, one of the big things to me that came out in these chapters, and I want to bring back on a biblical basis, is the notion um, that, that this is something that I really pulled out that's been on my heart, and I want to maybe help us uh, with this, especially as we're as generationally we're looking at some shifts that take place. What it, what is what I'm saying is that, and if you can't read it, I'll, I'll go ahead and read this for you. Um, is the this question I have at the top is who is the hero in your story? Who's the hero in your story? I'm, ask, I'm asking this for a reason, and we'll get into this here in, in just a second. But one of the things this book talks about is that every disciple of Jesus Christ, him and herself, needs to be a disciple maker. Right? I think we glean that from this book. We glean that, and, and Brother Gleason gives us a lot of scripture to go with that that it is our role as believers, as disciples ourselves, to go ahead and ourselves make, make disciples. Heroes, so the question is, who's the hero in your story? A hero is a person who's admired or idolized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. The question we'll bring out to us here is this, is who are our heroes? Now, as we dive in, and I'm going to touch on this subject here tonight, I want to give us a little caution, because sometimes as Christians, as apostolics, we can idealize and admire people and put people on a pedestal much higher than what they deserve to be. Certainly, I would, I would, I would hope certainly higher than they would think to be, because nobody should think that they should be on a pedestal. But regardless of what they think, sometimes we put people pretty high. We place them pretty high. And we begin to develop heroes in our lives. Um, I want to maybe caution, uh, throw two cautions out there. One is the caution of the heroes that we choose and we encourage our children to choose, the people that we idolize. The second is this, is let's also be cautious. I just feel led to throw this in there against the desire to deride a movement, specifically the UPCI. I'm saying this for a reason because sometimes it's easy to target a movement and focus on the problems of a movement. And the UPCI, which we are a part of, is not a perfect movement. We understand that. I think doctrinally we're very sound. Amen. Okay, you don't have to amen. That's fine. But I think doctrinally, if we weren't, we wouldn't be in that. We wouldn't be in the UPCI. I can tell you that. But culturally, it's going through a big change right now, which is wonderful—a needed change. Okay, 
Now, it would be easy for us to begin to deride the UPCI, or what I would rather us do is focus on not even the culture of the UPCI, but to focus on the culture of this community, greater life. If there's something that's of God, we can't speak against it. And if it's not of God, it'll fall apart. I'm not worried about an organization. My job, like not just literally, but like my role is not to change an organization. My role is for us to work together for this community and this culture to be healthy and, and in the right place and going in the right direction. That's really our, our role. So I just want to caution against maybe focusing on the negatives and actually encourage us to focus on the culture of this church community and the primary objective and principles to focus on. In the last year through 2020 and now into this year, we've heard the word hero used a lot, and it's beginning to be built into our language. In 2020, our local heroes were people who would care for others and were, that were at risk, um, and they, that they would put their own health at risk. Some of you remember that, that our nurses are our heroes. Our, our, our health care providers are, are, are our heroes. You know, seeing the billboards, not all, not all heroes wear capes and all that. And I saw something recently, don't get me started, don't get upset at me either, but I saw something recently that just kind of had me thinking, interestingly, like last year's heroes or this year's, you know, like whatever. I don't know what the term would be. But how quickly our world turns their back on, on, on whoever. Well, while we can look at that in the, in the healthcare and the nursing industries, I mean, let's just be, I'm not so much interested with those industries as much as I am with the culture of this church and, and the kingdom of God, that this was a nation in God we trust. This was a nation that was founded on the principles of, of God, of the word of God. Perfect? No, not perfect, but now so quickly our nation is turning its back on the things of God. Okay, we understand that. And like the very people that this nation needs, they're the, we're the ones that the nation is pushing away. Okay, well, this is history repeating itself. But there, there's this imagery that comes to mind that our local heroes, we, we use this term heroes, and we consider um, that those that are in healthcare, or we consider uh, maybe the, those in military, those um, uh, uh, people that, that we've idealized as having outstanding courage, and I think maybe, you know, appropriately so, men and women who have served our country. Or we would even look as, as recently what's coming up, 9-11, and our first responders that had done such a great, great job um, with, the first, with uh, 9-11 and, and many of the things, obviously, that happen every single day. See them as heroes as well. I just want to caution against something, though. In the church context, we have also elevated some people to be heroes when they didn't, number one, they didn't ask for it, but number two, maybe, maybe we've done ourselves a bit of a disservice. We've taken preachers, when I was growing up, it was the preacher was the hero, right? And if the preacher was the hero, that means that's who you wanted to model yourself after. And so you would you'd get a pulpit, you'd get a Bible, and you would begin to preach. And isn't that great? Preacher. We're a preaching movement. That's how we, in large part, that's how UPC started. It's a preaching movement. Okay, fine. That's, I'm not deriding. Again, I'm not trying to, I don't want to go too far in this ditch and just focus on that, but we're, that, that was kind of our heroes. Where things are shifting now is they're now shifting to where singers and musicians in, in many ways are becoming the heroes. And again, this isn't saying that preachers are bad and that they're asking for this and we don't want preachers anymore. This is certainly not saying that musicians and singers are like are vying for the spotlight and show it on me. But what we can do is we can begin to say and, and we, we can share this message to our young people or we can share this message within the culture of a church and say, unless you're on the platform or unless you're in the spotlight or unless you have a solo or unless you're, you have a microphone, you're really, you're really just an average person. You're just, there's that divide and that gulf, and Brother Gleason talks about it in this book. I also want to caution against this other notion, 
And this is where I'm going to get maybe some disagreement, perhaps. That's fine. We can disagree. Thank you. <laughs> you don't even know what I'm going to say. He's like, I'm ready to disagree. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. That's what I'm saying. We, we go. We're good. Um, is that we can also swing the pendulum too far or drive in the other ditch where we say, get out of balance, and we say that just, you know, the average people in the church are our heroes. And right now we'd say, well, what's wrong with that? Again, we're taking somebody and putting them on a pedestal. We, we, we cook this into our language even in Hebrews chapter 11. Anybody know what Hebrews chapter 11 is known for? The heroes of faith. Well, where does it say heroes in Scripture? It doesn't. And if you look at some of those people that are in the heroes of faith, read the end of their story. Some of them are losers. Like, seriously. Like, read the end of Gideon's story. Not a good ending to Gideon's story. Yeah, there's, you got some people in there that are, that are not... But we have called them heroes. We've called them that. They, scripture says they're people of faith, but we deem them heroes. What we can do when we read the Bible is we can begin to falsely insert ourselves into these stories. And the question is, who is the hero in your story? Let me just tell you, you are not the hero in your story. Okay, so here's where I'm breaking this down. David and Goliath. Who's the hero in that story? It's got to be David, right? And we say, oh, well, we want to be, you're the David and you have your Goliath. As soon as you do that, you place yourself in the hero status. It's not you who comes, it's not me, it's not us who comes and saves the day. It's Jesus who comes and saves the day. Christ in you, yes, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Jesus that's formed in us, and he is the hero of our story. That every one of these heroic moves is, yeah, that, that's part of our, that's part of us, that's the humanity that's interwoven in it, but it's, it's God that's at the center of that story. That without him, it's just a fairy tale. Without him, it, fa- it fails and falls apart. That he is the one so when you read the story of David, who's the hero? Are you the hero in that story? No, it's God who's the hero. When you read the story of Esther uh, and Israel's terrifying demise, are you the Esther in that story? No, we're not. God is the one who's showing up, and he's the one that's making things right. He used his humanity, absolutely, but that's all that we are. Earthen vessels. And the reason I bring this up is because our motives in what we're doing have to be pure. We can't for one second begin to take the hero stage in the spotlight and think and feel as though this story is about us. I don't know if that, that all right tonight? Because at the end of the day, Everything that we do has to point back to Him. Okay. When you read the story of Joseph and Joshua, who's the hero in that story? When you read about Moses and Abraham or Hannah and Gideon, are these people heroes? I would pose to us today that men and women are not the heroes of these stories, but God is. And likewise, as a guide for us in disciple-making, It's not a preacher, it's not a singer, it's not a musician, it's not a title holder that is our hero. Our example is not a conference speaker or an album artist. Our greatest example to follow is Jesus Christ. He is our example. And in everything we do, everything we do, Sister Eden has said, it's Christ in you. Uh, Paul puts it in Ephesians, he says, till, till Christ be formed in you. And there's that forming process as Christ is continually formed in our lives. I, I am thrilled with the things that are happening 
I, I couldn't be, I'm so excited with what's going on. I want to brag on um, Brother Mark Moingen tonight, um, and he's not here, so I kind of feel like he's John the Baptist, and, and I could just talk about him for a second. Um, every, and this actually helps in a transition to the next principle that I want to bring out, but every other Sunday morning, as many of you probably know, he leaves church early, he leaves this church early to go to another church. You're like, oh my goodness, like, what, is he going to another church? Well, like, no, it's, it's actually, he may not even know it, but it's a church, it's a gathering of people, believers together at his place of employment where he's teaching a Bible study, where he's literally, in working with these men, he's, just, he's, he's, he's modeling Jesus, right? So if we say to Mark, oh, you're our hero, what we've done to Brother Moinga is we put him on a pedestal, something he didn't ask, he would never ask for, first of all. And if you were to ask him, how did you get here? He'd say, well, it was God. He would, he would turn around and say, that's how, it, I don't know, Jesus just modeled it and he told me what to do. Right? And we have in our movement people that are successful, and Brother Gleason points on this great in his book, people that are successful at, quote unquote, winning souls or evangelizing or whatever you want to call it, but the need remains for discipleship. And our greatest model for that is Jesus Christ. Okay. So, Jesus in his ministry did this foremost and ultimately he made disciples. Making disciples was and is not a means to an end. Let me put it like this. We are a numbers people as well. And if you show me numbers, and Brother Gleason push, uh, points and touches on this as well, but in our movement, we are numbers movement. And the book of Acts hits on numbers too. Like you see the numbers in the book of Acts, and there are some great numbers that are, that are reported on. So numbers aren't bad. It's not bad. You know, Harvey, it's not bad to, to know numbers. Like this is okay. This is good, right? <laughs> this is good. Numbers are, numbers are good to have. It's a measure of something, right? It's not the ultimate measure, but it's a measure of something. But in our movement, we're a numbers movement where if you can prove and show and say this is how many we have and this is the number of people that we have or, or we want or we baptize or receive the Holy Ghost and all this, man, we, that's, that's, we're driven by numbers and all of that. And that's, it is what it is, but Jesus was driven by the need to make disciples and to multiply himself in others. The principle is not to have a motive for numbers. Because as soon as we have a motive for numbers, just like David did, let me number the people. Let me just go ahead and number the people. He got in big trouble. He got in huge trouble over that. As soon as we start to look at our barns that are full, and we go, my barn is pretty full. I'm going to tear down my barn, and I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to fill those barns up, and I'll say to my soul, take rest, my soul. And the words that came to that man when he said that was, thou fool. Our motive has to be, number one, pleasing our Father. And not numbers or results driven, but solely concerned with pleasing Him. And modeling what he did for us. Discipleship. I think that's a beautiful thing that Jesus did and that I, I hope that we can grasp onto as well. But I want to I continue. I want to hasten on to this next one. Principle number two. Which I think is really important. It's not either or. It's both. What you see here, if, you, if you're looking at the screen, is a picture of Greater Life, our church building, and then a series of houses off to the side. When we're talking about making disciples, it's not one or the other, the corporate gathering or the house-to-house gathering. It's not either or, it's both and. And I feel like that is a really vital point that we can't afford to lose. The issue comes in both regards 
once we get here, once we get to these places, what do we do? And what does that look like? That's part of the beautiful thing about being a body is a body is in motion and a body adapts and a body changes. What we do when we gather together doesn't necessarily have to be a rote program where you say, okay, when you gather, we have to sing these three songs, then we have to have preaching, and we have to have altar call. What we do is we are a church community that is here to reach the community that we're in, the community of believers that are gathering together. It might look different in Columbia Heights than it does in the next place or the next place. It might, it's going to look different in a corporate gathering like this than it does in a house-to-house gathering. It must look different. So which one do we, which one do, we do? Which one do we focus on? And my point that I really want to bring out in Scripture that I think speaks to this is that it's not either or, it's both and. What you will find is that when you begin to despise one over the other, you will find that something is out of balance. And if, and if something's out of balance, I'll just speak to this because I really feel like this is a really important issue. If you despise house-to-house gatherings, you despise that and you don't like that and you don't want to be a part of that, something is out of balance. Because that's biblical and scriptural. Something is out of balance. Maybe we've gone too far off to one side. And we've become too comfortable. Maybe, well, is this all right? <laughs> Maybe, maybe it's a reflection of our own failure to incorporate this into our own personal lives and our own homes. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody here tonight, but I'm trying to tell you if you despise a house-to-house gathering, if you despise what what the first century church did, this is your opportunity to change and to, and to, to, to correct course and to realize the beauty and the excitement of what you've been missing. It's, it's, it's thrilling. It's exciting. When you have home church, when you gather together in a home, whether it's just your family, if you're by yourself, you get, you get other people that are gathering in together with the life group or Bible study, wherever you want to call it, when you do that, and it can be full of life. You can feel the anointing. You can, you can have an, a breakout of the Holy Ghost. People can get the Holy Ghost. You can baptize people. Anything that you think that you can experience here, you can absolutely and should absolutely experience there. But you're not going to have, oh, sister so-and-so, come on, musicians, come at this time. We're going to take an offering. Like, we're not, you're not going to do that. It's got to be different. So when you begin to despise one over the other, something's out of balance. When you begin to despise the corporate gathering, Oh, let me just touch on this for a second. If the corporate gathering is a healthy body, now if it's not a healthy body, I can understand why it might be despised a little bit. Like if it was the church in Corinth and they were gathering corporately, I can understand why we might despise that a little bit. Like, oh, that's messed up. But there's no perf- a healthy body doesn't mean a perfect body. Does that make sense? Like is there such a thing as a perfect church? No. Yeah, if it is perfect, don't go there. Leave them alone. Yeah, you're, yeah. Just, just, just keep on driving. Like, that was great. Right, right, there's no perfect church. We, under, we understand that. Hopefully we understand that. But also don't despise the gathering, the corporate gathering together. If there's something that you despise about the gathering together, I would challenge you and say this, maybe something's out of balance. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And we we have to not allow the pendulum to swing one way or the other, but to find the joy in both. 
as you, as you go down this trail, and not one ditch or the other, but if you, as you go down this trail, maybe you want to lean one way. I get it. Maybe you lean the other way. I totally get it. I understand it. But understand that we have to embrace both. If you've not done this, if you've not, well, you're here tonight, so it's like, if you've not done corporate gatherings, okay, well, here you are. Okay, got it. But if you've not experienced the beauty of a house-to-house movement, hang on. Hang on. What would you do? Uh, let me just ask you this. What would you do if we just shut the doors for, for six months and we just said, you have to rely on house-to-house church? By the way, we're not going to put out fancy videos for you to watch, neither. What would you do? I'd just go somewhere else, probably. Get our fix somewhere else. We, we might, but here's the thing. Here's what I'm encouraging us to do. I want us to begin to think in this regard that just as excited as we sometimes get here, that this is just, this is, this is just, and Pastor Haddon put this, the capstone on what God wants to do throughout the remainder of your week. This is just one day or two days out of the week. There's so much more that God is intending for us to do. And it's scary because it's foreign. It's challenging because we don't know what it's supposed to look like. But you're not in it alone. We understand that the Christian walk is more than just Sunday to Sunday. And the greater point is that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke with them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things as I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The first part of the commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. And then after baptism, there is also the command to teach. It is a process. We understand that we are born into the kingdom, John 3, 1 through 5. We are born into the kingdom, but that is just our entry, and that is far from the conclusion. And if I could just put it this way, some of you aren't going to like this, but the birth, the birth process is kind of the fun part. Yeah. Not like the physical, like physical birth, right? Like that's not very, that's, no woman in here is like, I don't agree with that. Like, what are you talking about? But sometimes, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Um, you, you might get a little weirded out by this, but th- that's okay. Just pretend I'm Brother Thompson for a second. And, <laughs> And it'll make sense. Am I right? I mean, like he. I mean, I'm not. I'm not being insulting. Like I just kind of feel like he says some things that's just like it's good, but it makes me uncomfortable too. Like it's accurate, but I'm also uncomfortable. Doesn't mean so. Anyway, okay. Um, in the the birth process, what precedes that is the intimacy process. And we like the intimacy process of church. Intimacy process of church, like the fun, like this is great, lots of energy and emotion and passion, right? I'm not trying to be weird, but let's just be real. Like we like that portion of it because that means that's like a red-hot service. We like that because there's no commitment. We like that because all we have to do is punch a clock, say, I just came and had a great, powerful, um, passionate service, but there's no, there's no birth afterwards. Nobody's being born from that. And yeah, and therefore then there's no change. But you introduce that, you introduce that child into that life. When, when we were first married, I feel like my wife's hiding behind this pillar because she didn't want like when we when we first got married and after a couple years, and she wrote this really cool Father's Day card that says that said that we were expecting, I was like, wait a second. That's changing everything. It changes what you can, what, not me, uh, changes what she can eat. <laughs> I can still eat whatever I want. Like, it changed all kinds of things. And then when the baby's born and Olivia's in the next room and I am like hearing her breathe and all of a sudden I don't hear her breathe anymore. And it's just, it's not because she's not breathing, it's because she's a room away. Like, Duh. Like, but you know, that, 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 and now we can't just go out, especially when you have five kids. You can't just say, oh, we're just going to go out and do what, you know, and, and, and go get something to eat. Now you have a responsibility that you're tied to. 
Man, it was great when you're, when you're single or when you're just newly married or whatever it is. You can do whatever you want and just have a great time. But when there is that commitment, it changes your lifestyle. The same thing absolutely applies when you are in, in discipleship with somebody. That it's easy to say, come to a red-hot service. But it's challenging to say, now my life is connected to yours. Yeah, for, for when do you stop, like some of you have kids that are going into college, when do you stop being a parent? Never. <laughs> That's right. So how then does it continue on? It continues on both in the corporate gathering and with the daily connection on a more personal level. The church culture issue that I want to address is the notion that there is not one or the other, it is both and. First century church focused itself and found itself gathering together regularly, yes, but it was not a weekly gathering that took place. The 21st century finds itself gathering together when? Sundays and Wednesdays. Or when a department has a ministry event. Are these bad? No. Should we stop these? No. Do these preclude anybody from reaching their neighbors, friends, family, or coworkers? You would be hard-pressed to tell me that they do. The question that I get sometimes is, but what if? Well, we, get, we have so much church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then department events. What if? What if what? What if we didn't look for ways to find fault with corporate church? And what if instead we just did disciple making? What if you find that person that you want to disciple only has time to meet on Wednesday nights? What if? Are we going to say, is the leadership of this church going to say, well, sorry, their soul's just going to have to be on standby until... No. What? No. Look, look, at some point, at some point, you need to leave this gathering so that you can go into the field. Like, at some point, we need to stop sitting around and saying, feed me more. At some point, we can, you can go. Don't, it's not to say, well, I'm just going to go and sit home and just wait for someone to show up at my door. No, no, you don't, that's not what I'm talking about. But at some point, if somebody says, if, like with Brother, Brother Moingen, I'll bring up him again. He, you know, if he says, well, I can't miss Sunday morning church, so I can't do this Bible study. What? That's nonsense. If the, what if the only time they have to meet is on a Sunday night? Great, then go to them. Minister to them. What if the only time we have to meet is on Wednesday night? Fine, that's fine. Take someone with you. Go reach them. Oh. I mean, nuts. <laughs> My hair's already fallen out. I don't need help with it. Like, What if you find the person, and what if they don't want to go to a departmental event, but they'd rather do a Bible study with you? Hey, I can't come to this department event because I'm doing a Bible study. Um, I'll, I'll pick on the Marchands for a second here. There was a rally that was down um, in another church a few years back, and we encouraged a lot of people to go, and the Marchands did not come. They had something going on at their home, and, and, and it, was, it, was, uh, it was, I think, I, I can't remember what that was. It was music practice or something along those lines. I'm not sure what it was. But at any rate, they had something in their home. And right before this rally was about to start, I got a picture sent to me in a text message from Brother Tim Marchand. And it was Brady who had just received the Holy Ghost at home. So what do we do with that? We go, well, I think Brady probably should have been at this rally, and he could have got the Holy Ghost there. Stop. What? Stop. You have the Holy Ghost at home. Right? Yeah, why not? The reason why not is because we are limiting ourselves. Nothing would please me more than to see this group on Wednesday night dwindle for the right reasons. 
I'm sorry, I can't make it because I'm teaching a Bible study. I'm sorry, I can't make it because I'm discipling somebody. I'm sorry, Sunday night, Sunday morning, is this all right? I, yes, we have to get together. I, I, I'm in full support. We do need to gather together. Absolutely. Now, don't read, in, don't read into this. Don't read into this and just say, well, we're going to start our own church now. But it's work. It's, anyway, I, got, I have to hasten. I'm way over time on this. With Scripture as our guide, my word to us tonight is this, not to despise one or the other, but to abound in the grace to love both of them. Love them both. Love them both. Love the gathering together. Love the process of discipling. Our minds, our motivation must be on making disciples not on satisfying other distracting measures of success. With that, we're going to get into our book discussion here tonight. We need to hurry. I'm sorry for taking so much time on the scriptural or that, that, that uh, principal applications, but um, book discussion here tonight. So let's open it. I want to open this up for some discussion, and, and uh, for us, we're going to go ahead and get started. What were some of the takeaways you got from this book? What were some of the takeaways? Sister Kaylee, I was hoping you would raise your hand. I haven't brought this back to you in two weeks. This is a song that was written by Lanny Wolf. And I guess you could say during that time, they were heroes. They were the singers. But he wrote a song that so many want to stay around my table. My table meaning where we get fed at church. And then the last song, or the last part of the song was, but who will go and work out in my field? And that, that was a song written for that time Amen. for the church. And it's still applicable today. Yeah, very good. Somebody else? Somebody else, some book, what were some of the highlights you took away from the book reading this week? One of the things that really intrigued me, um, and again, sometimes we have to evaluate what, what we've become used to, just even in our vocabulary, you know, and it came up the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. And the question he asked was, if we were to be asked the question, are you a Christian, most of us would raise our hand. Yeah. If we were asked, if, are you a disciple, he said, for the most part, we probably would have a blank stare or confusion and really not know how to answer that question. Obviously, here, us being in the study, we're hopefully a little more, you know, looking into that, but... It, it just shows, you know, that even in our, in, in our understanding how we've really missed that whole, the difference between the two. I would venture to say there was a time we could look back, we would have not even maybe known that there was a difference, but we're coming to understand now that there's a difference. So I guess that, that one really stands out the most is there's, there's definitely a huge difference. What, what would that difference be? It's the very thing that you mentioned. It's the commitment. Like it's, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's so convicting when you read some of this. It's just, like he said, you know, it's easy to, to show up at church. Um, he, de he defines it, when I say he, I'm referring to the author, Brother Gleason. He defined it as Christianity focuses on, and that's why the secular Christian world likes this. It focuses on what Christ did at the cross. We all like that. God so loved the world. We all know this, right? And am I making fun of that scripture? No. But, you know, then it doesn't have to cost me anything because he did it all, right? I, ju I just follow because he, he already paid the price and everybody likes this message. The discipleship message is, now what is my response to the fact that he did that on the cross? 
that changes everything and that makes us level playing field. Everybody has to respond to that question. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Somebody else. Uh, my favorite quote from the reading was, uh, we are not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying, but we are in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. All right. That's good. So I like that. But you know what? Hold on to that mic. So what, why, why is that your favorite? Tell, tell us more because we want to hear why that resonates so deeply with you. <laughs> just close your eyes pretend it's just you talking to yourself. I mean, this life isn't where it's at. This life is garbage. This life is nothing um, compared to what's out there. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. That, you don't have to go further. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to dig a little deeper. That's all. That's all. That's very good. And that's so true. That's so true. With that knowledge, what does that do for us? What does that do for us? All right. Anybody else? Someone else? I'm just teasing. I'm just I guess with my age and this the culture that it is, I really like things like now, fast. Fast food, <clears throat> microwaves, my friend. And uh, it just hit me, and I've heard it many times before, but it just hit me, you know, that uh, it, it's the difference between, you know, what he says, soul winning, yeah. you know, is... Yeah. Like a microwave, discipleship is like a crock pot, you know. And and an, another thing that hit me was uh, John fifteen fifteen. You know, it says that your fruit will remain. There is yeah. no expiration date. You know, this is for the rest of my life. Yeah. That the Lord, as long as the Lord will allow, you know, we need to. Disciple, and that's scary. That commitment is scary, you know, um, especially with the time and age it is, and you know, all oh, retirement and this and that and work and you know, um, what, what's more important? So that's all I have. All right, Brother Collins, and then when you're done, you can just hand it to Sister Jane. Um, no something that just spoke to me was uh, when Brother Gleason was talking about living intentionally and he he quoted a a lady that talked about going to the the grocery store marketplace and seeking disciples and that she would maybe just happen to get some groceries while she was there and it was very convicting to me because of just you know how often do we go a place a long time ago I heard a message about um, a young guy was preaching about when a, a willing witness meets a seeking soul, right, where there's somebody crying out for God, crying out for answers, crying out for something, and then you have somebody that's saying, Lord, I'm available, I want to be used by you, I'm a vessel, and all of a sudden those two lives just get smashed together um, in a divine appointment. And, you know, how often, you know, I'm just, obviously this week I'm even thinking, I'm like, okay, wherever am I going, what am I doing? Lord, is there somebody here that needs something from you, and if, if I'm the vessel for that, great. If not, okay, cool. But um, just living that intentional life of everything that we do with that being at the forefront of what we're seeking, you know, it could be as simple as going into a store, and I think we heard it um, when we did a thing here where there was somebody uh, on the screen, and he was just talking about before walking into a place, just saying a simple prayer, Lord, you know, lead me to a hungry heart or whatever it was, and more often than not, something happens, whether you get bumped into by somebody in the store and all of a sudden they're pouring out their life story and crying and then you're praying with them and, you know, things just happen like that. And so um, I know we were talking about at our table, Jesse was saying, um, you know, just like the numbers. We mentioned that where if one apostolic Pentecostal person, whatever it may be, picks one disciple a year and then that just continues to multiply, we could have reached the entire population of the globe in nine years. And it, you look at, like, what have we been doing for the last hundred years? No? Figure out. 
put a little pressure on. I'll always come up with something to say. It's not, it's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what really struck me, and I've been thinking about this, is I remember, I think we were in a small group workshop a couple years ago, um, learning how to do Bible studies. And Pastor Hatton, he must have said something. He was taking questions. And I had, I'm just being transparent. <laughs> and I had made the comment, I'm like, you dedicate all this time to somebody, and then all of a sudden they want to dominate your life, and they're calling, and they're texting, and they're knocking on your door, and they're really not interested in the Bible study, and they just want to be your soulmate or your best buddy. Um, and I was going through something with somebody at that time, a Bible study, and it kind of dissolved shortly thereafter. Um, you know, we had gone through the water baptism, and the Holy Ghost, and then we were kind of done, and we kind of disconnected, and then Life Groups comes along, and we reconnect, and we've also been doing a Bible study once a week. We're getting together the same person from a couple years ago, and in my mind, I'm being transparent, so the past few weeks, I'm like, oh my goodness, don't tell the church this. This has taken years. I'm not very good at this. This is taking a long time. And all of a sudden, we're connecting. She's calling. She's texting. I'm involved in her life. She's involved in mine. And, you know, don't tell anybody, but I'm in it for the long haul. If this takes forever, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And this book kind of answered that. It's like, be the slow cooker, not the microwave. Um, So I'm just being transparent. It might take longer than a year. (laughs) But... um, God really works on us, and the timing of things are perfect from the preached word to the books we're studying. He brings the answers. He brings things into our lives, and I don't know. We just got to be open to him because even when we don't realize it, and I'm like, oh, don't tell the church. This is taking too long. God's going, you're right where you're supposed to be. This is what it's all about, (laughs) and it's just... It really spoke to me, the slow cooker, the crock pot. Yeah, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Now I can tell people. <laughs> no, it's not about me. But you know. Yeah, yeah. Amen. I think that's so good. I think that's so good to acknowledge the fact that it's not an immediate process, that it takes time. And it's okay. It's okay. All right, anybody else? Well, as I read the book, um, I just thought, you know, we live our everyday lives, and we are disciples. We have disciples no matter what. Our kids are our disciples, the people we work with, our neighbors. They're all discipling. And we all pick up something. Even, Even I've been in this church a long time, and I'm still learning from some of the old timers, you know, different qualities that are beautiful and and everything else you know so um but the the hardest thing for me is um in the discipleship when problems arise in people's lives and they're suffering and, and they're hurting and i know the lord could take care of it all and i think that's the hardest because they don't understand that the lord can help them and somehow, um, well, us ladies, we get together and pray, and we have coffee together, and we have a good time together, and we pray, and we pray for people, and that helps us, and it helps, um, it helps, God answers those prayers with people, you know, and I don't know, maybe sometime, you know, when you're talking to somebody, they have insight of what you can do to open a, a you know, with a person, like, my neighbor, she's such a beautiful person, but I think she's an introvert, and I'm an extrovert, you know. And she's so sweet, but I don't know how to open that door, you know. So, but we are disciples, and no matter what, we're going to be learning from each other. Yes. And we carry the Lord. Yes. We have the most precious thing in the world, and, and we got to share it. We just got to share it, and people see it. They know us in our neighborhoods. They know us. They don't know what it is, but they know. People in my neighborhood and in your neighborhood, I know they would come up to you and say, 
there's something different about you, and I feel something. Because they have done that in my neighborhood. Through all the whatever's going on, they've said it. So we carry something so precious, and only God can say them. Anybody else? Um, <laughs> what stuck out to me was in, in chapter 2, he's talking about the culture of a rabbi and that they all had this common understanding, like when Jesus was calling his disciples, it was the same as a rabbi. And I was just thinking, well, well, they had this cultural advantage. They understood, and he just transformed that into a disciple the understanding that they had from uh, from a rabbi. So I kind of thought, well, that's unfair. Like, they had a cultural advantage where they all understood that that's what Jesus was doing. But then you go to chapter 4, and he's talking about how he had a neighbor that had this bad experience with religion. And so then I thought, well, really, if I transform that, we have the cultural advantage where everyone around us has a concept of Christianity. Everyone around us has this idea or this philosophy or this belief about the church, Christians, Jesus, who he is. So really, we have a cultural advantage in our day where everyone has a concept of Christianity. And now we get to challenge that concept. And we get to say, no, now in chapter 4, his neighbor said, you're the standard now that I judge other people by and their Christianity. So now we have that cultural advantage where we can take and transform and say, no, I'm not just a Christian. I'm a disciple. And we get yeah. to set that standard because we have a cultural advantage now. Yeah. That's good. Everyone catch that? Page 39. <laughs> Paul said that Christ committed the ministry of reconciliation unto us. My favorite verse in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 5.17. And it's about being a Christian. It says that old things have passed away and new things have become. Before I came to be a Christian, I was walking in darkness. I need to remember where I came from. So I have that same burden that I did when I came in the church. And when, when you first come in the church, you learn to be a Christian. You learn to be born again. You're a new creature. You attend church. You're faithful stewards. And you did like what Sabina said. Christ died for us. He died on the cross. And you want to do something more for him. So that's the ministry of reconciliation, where we realize personally that he's done something for us. And the ministry of, of reconciliation is going out. It's going out to our friends. It's going out to our relatives. It's going out to our neighbors. It's going out to anybody who has any association with me or with you. And now that is what he has given us, is the ministry of reconciliation. So I'll say this point, then we're going to move on to application. Um, this is all really good. One of the things that we're not real big on, and we've, it's, we've never really done a whole lot of here at Greater Life, is mass, um, well, at least not in the past few years, mass evangelism, where we just start doing flyers and for for and door hangers, and big social media drives, and things like that. The reality is that what would we do if those people all of a sudden all came and were ready to be born again and discipled? What would we do with it? The, the, we wouldn't know what to do with it. The thing is, is if, if we're really wanting to engage in this process, we have the opportunities all around us with people we already either know or make contact with or have some level of interaction with, it's already there. It's already there. The, people, the person that you could be discipling is already in your life. You may not be best friends with them. They may not be in your five, if that's a thing. Like, they may not be, you know, like, 
They may not be your best friend and you may not even know their name. But they're already there. Yes. So there's a part in the book that talks about um, salvation is not a diploma but a birth certificate. Yeah. And so after you win them, then what? So it's a, the discipleship is the process after that. So I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, are you looking at discipleship as leading up to salvation and then after or mainly an after thing? From, from my perspective, it's both, right? It's, it's, it's you disciple them, make disciples, baptize, and then teach, right? It's kind of this this constant process. So you disciple them up to the, their initiation into the kingdom, which is the new birth experience, and then you keep on discipling them <laughs> as they grow. Yeah, so it's, it's a long, it is a process. It's, it's a process that we have to be ready to engage in. All right. All right, let's move on because I know we've got to wrap this up here tonight. Um, I know it's already getting a little bit late. So we just want to, I know we have 20 minutes set aside for this. We're going to cut this a little short, but I don't want to diminish the significance of this. It's application. Application. So it's these two questions that we have on our, on our syllabus. How do the scriptural principles apply to the reading? And how can we express and apply these scriptural principles personally and corporately? So when we talk about application, what, is it, what does it now mean? How do, we, how do we begin to apply this? We talk about the corp. The, remember, some of the principles that we started out with in the beginning of this lesson were the the the, um, the hero. Who who is our hero? Our hero is Jesus Christ. How do we apply what he did and the model that he was with his disciples? How do we apply that to our concept of discipleship and what we're doing? Number one and number two. Um, it's not either or. It's both and. How do we begin to apply that as well? Oh, um, the fascination with heroes is pretty evident in our culture. And you take Jesus himself, and the rich young ruler came to him and said, Bows. He's doing it right. He's worshiping Jesus. Jesus is like, why do you call me good? He, if he's not even going to accept hero worship right. as a man in the flesh, there is zero, nobody, anytime, anywhere who should be put on a pedestal. It's human nature to do it, but if anybody should be against it, it should be people who know who Jesus is. So you have Peter. They bow, they bow down to worship him. He says, I'm just like you. Don't worship me. You have John. We should know better, <laughs> bowing down to a supernatural being, an angel, and the angel says, don't worship me. Right. Everything has got to point to one. There's only one Savior, and it's not me, it's not the church, it's not services, it's not preaching messages. There's one Savior. And what, one, of the, or one of the things that happens when we create heroes, then it's their job to do it and not mine. So let Pastor Kirk do it. Let Dave Reed do it. He's got a position. I don't have to do nothing. But this is how you apply. This is what application means. You do it. You simply do anything. Just do. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. Try that. See what happens. See what doors open up. I've never done that before. Well, start. Do it. Yeah, with, with the intention, right? Yes. Intent, he, yes. He, not just like, well, I'm just going to go eat with him. And he was, right? Because he was always looking. Right. He's always searching for that door. And I think that's one of the, big, that's one of the biggest things is our, is that, that I'm taking away, even what you're saying and what we're reading, is 
let's let our eyes be open and to see the opportunities that are right in front of you. If you were mining for gold and there were gold nuggets all around, you'd start picking those things up. You'd say, I better sell this field because there's something in this, there's a treasure in this field. Because we're looking for the treasure. What's the greatest earthly treasure that there is that's worth more than all this world that you would not give in exchange for? It's a soul. It's a soul. So what are we looking for? I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going. You're good. That's it. Do something. Do something. Stop finding reasons why you can't. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop saying it's someone else's personality is better than Stop. Just stop. Just do. Just do anything. Just start somewhere and do. God will open up the door. He will lead you. He will show you things. Do. Amen. Okay. Anybody, somebody else? I was going to say one thing that I noticed that kind of really like we were talking about it here and I brought it up near the end and we didn't really get to discuss it was how he said, you know, comparing between, I think it was cranes and penguins and how with penguins, you know, it starts, you know, with just the parents are taking care of the young, just the people closest to the young taking care of them. But then eventually as the young grow older, the entire flock, I don't know what a group of penguins is called, but the, the entire group of penguins starts looking after that young as they start getting a little older and can fend for themselves. And just kind of like taking that and applying that to how we are. It's just, you know, one person starts, you know, discipling someone. And eventually, through being a disciple, they discover, it says in the book, that uh, a disciple knows that corporate worship is important. So it says that through being a disciple, eventually those people will start realizing that and coming. And then as a body, we are to support those people as they come. That at, at some point, it still does kind of rely on that one to, you know, keep tabs on them at some point. But then eventually, as a whole body, we are to support everybody in a sense. All right, our children are getting restless, so I'm gonna, maybe we are too, so I'm just going to wrap this up. <laughs> um, I just want to echo one of the things that Brother Mark Arthur just said, and it is the notion, just go ahead and do it. One of the biggest struggles that we have had as a church ever since I started pastoring has been a bus ministry. I can't tell you how many people have, we've had what I would consider a failure to launch in a bus ministry. Not by anyone's fault. I'm not pointing anyone fingers at anybody except for it just starts with me, and, and I'm, I'm the pastor, so it's, if there's a failure to launch, it's my, it's my fault. It didn't get off the ground. So what we decided that we would do is we just decided that we would just start picking up kids. I'm not saying, oh, follow me, because I'm the one that, I'm not the hero here. <laughs> right? We just started, we, we decided we were going to start picking up kids. Most Sundays, uh, we drive separately. Almost every Sunday, we drive separately. What you don't realize is that there's a family here that offers to come pick me up so that we don't have to drive two vehicles. So it's joining together, and it's great. It's great. Well, Stephanie, you better be at prayer because if you're not at free service prayer on Sunday mornings, and I guess people aren't going to think you're a very good pastor's wife. No, 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 no. You know what she's doing? She's out in the field. Out in the field. You know what she's doing after that? You know what we're doing after that? We're, we're talking to these parents. They're saying, you know what? You've seen a change in, in your kid's life. Maybe, maybe you want to get together. Do we invite them to church? No, I'm not interested in inviting them to church. I want to go to them. I want to get in their homes. I want to, I want, quite frankly, if this is okay, we're going to start a church in Circle Pines. And you're not invited. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But the point, is, the point is this. The point is, we decided we were just going to do it. Okay, that's just our story. That's just like a snippet of our story. You're like, well, you're the pastor. I'm not, no, hardly. Like, <laughs> not a very good one. But no, the point is, no, that we're just, we're common. We're average people. We're average like, I purposely talked about not engaging in hero worship to bring 
to make sure that there's no division between us. We're just average people. What do you have in your life? What have you been sitting on? What have you been sitting on waiting for a program to open up and those doors to open up? There will be no, we're not a program-driven church. We're not program-driven. We're not interested in being program-driven. We're spirit-driven. We're spirit-led. The foundation is the Word of God. And you have what it takes. You have what it takes. So what is it? This is the last question that was asked in our life groups from August. Is that if you feel like God is inspiring you, calling you to do something, the question is this, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Um, Last point I'll make is this, and then we'll talk about our assignment for next week. Disciple making is difficult because it is so counterculture. It's so counterculture. You've already touched on this a couple of times. Our culture is given to me now. Give it to me now. Give it to me as soon as I click. I'm wondering where my tracking number is. And I got to see progress. It's so counterculture, and that's one of the reasons it's so hard for us. But when you realize how counterculture it is, I think that empowers us maybe in some regards with that knowledge to know that that's exactly what our world needs. We don't need to blend in and be just like everybody else. We need to do what this this book tells us to do. And you will see more than what you could consider to be success. What we think is success is so shallow compared to what His Word tells us and what God wants to do. So let's stand together here tonight. Here's our assignment for next week. It's to read chapters 5 through 7 and follow to lead. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. And the theme is going to be the sending, the going, walking by faith and not by sight, and trusting in the sending. I'll put it this way. This is going to challenge some of you. Some of you need to be in so much control and you need to have everything figured out before you ever go. You chose the wrong, wrong faith, my friend. This is a walk by faith, not by sight. But it's trusting the sending, trusting the going, trusting the step even where you can't see where the next place that you're going to plant your foot is. Trusting. So with that in mind, I want to send you out between this week